worrying. Sorry, ACAV, I know you think about us every day, but you're only getting it once a week. Um, <laughs> speaking of other things That's that you probably think about. Says. <laughs> Are we live? Are we going? Awesome. Let's go. Hey, welcome to the Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Klugman, joined as always by Landon Castle. This is our podcast about all motorsports, and one of these days I might change up this intro just to mess with all of you. we got to keep the energy high, Landon. we got a lot on tap today, um, starting with that we've had some racing finally this year for NASCAR with the Clash this past weekend. We'll dive into all that and some of the feedback and... I think some of the issues and discussions around where the clash should go next or if it stays in L.A. and sort of all that went down this past weekend there. There is some news out of Formula One, including a car released by another terribly named F1 team and a steering wheel change. Big news over there, including (laughs) some allegations around one of the biggest names in terms of team principals in Formula One. Uh, What else do we have on tap? Oh, we have a guest today. We'll see when he gets on. We're going to be working this in real time as we make this podcast. But someone I've talked to a lot at the Rolex and IMSA races, uh, Renger Vanderzen, who is one of the top GTB drivers for Cadillac and Ganassi. Overall, awesome dude. He's going to hop on here and tell us what it's like to be an endurance sports car, top of the game, prototype level race car driver, which I think will be really cool. But as always, Landon, we start the PR lap where we, we talk about ourselves. Let's do it. I think we got some new reviews, so plenty of plenty for you to talk about. We do have new reviews. <laughs> How exciting. People have finally listened to our pact. If you love this podcast, send it to three friends and help us get to 200 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you like it in audio form, you might like it in video form, or you can check out our YouTube. Please like and subscribe there and send that to three friends. We also do other content like NASCAR Reacts or just Reacts in general, the awesome races. We try to do at least one of those a week, sometimes Multiple times a week. Uh, I do have to give a shout-out to a friend of mine. Townsend Bell sent me an email about a really cool thing that he's doing, and I think this is important for anyone out there, and especially all the people that come to you and I asking, how do I get into motorsports? I want to work in motorsports. How do I do it? And we often tell them, go to their local short track or you know, just make relationships at racetracks, whatever it is. Well, Townsend and his wife took it in their hands to try and create a, a – scholarship around this very thing called the Rod Campbell Award. And basically, they're in year four of this and where college students are given these paid internships at places like NBC Sports, Brian Herta Autosport, Racer Magazine, uh, Fidencia Sports, and Steinbrenner Racing. And or three of them in the first three years have gone on to have full-time jobs in racing. So if you want to get a paid internship, go apply to the Rod Campbell Award. It's on racer.com where they can give you all the information but if you want to work in motorsports, that's a pretty cool entry. Cool of Townsend to do that, and happy to give him a shout-out for that. Speaking of reviews, we mentioned on Apple, Landon. Do you want to do this first one from Apple? I, I think this is a very nice one. <laughs> yeah, from Neon Body Style says, uh, My favorite thing about Money Lap is it feels like I'm listening to two of my buddies talk about racing, except that my buddies are professional race car drivers and are also industry nerds. Absolutely. <laughs> Super insightful, very entertaining. Can't wait for the NASCAR season to get underway so I can add listening to Landon and Parker part of my weekly routine. That is awesome. Thank you, Neon Body Style. We are nerds. We are we industry are. nerds. We love to deep dive about anything racing related. I feel like we can take any seemingly simple racing concept and make it 
extremely complicated and <laughs> and thoughtful uh and you can argue any side of the argument in a nuanced manner basically we can take something really exciting and interesting and make it very boring. long drawn out and boring <laughs> by at any time you you come to us with the most exciting thing you can think and we'll make it boring that's our pack to you uh another one out there Great, insightful pod about all aspects of, and I didn't get the full title here, but it does. This is from Ice NASCAR. Parker and Landon do a great job covering all topics of the motorsport world. I think well, that's what he was trying to say. Oh, okay, yeah. Five-star review, world. however, I will have to change my review if Kyle Busch does not make an appearance. Hmm, I know. We've been I, trying well, to get we, on for a while. <laughs> we keep running out of time because uh, Fitzy, I think, had the same... Similar sentiment there. Great podcast and great insights, deep discussion or conversation. Yep. Only suggestion would be instead of Car- Parker doing Kyle Bush at the end, it would be a lot funner if uh, funnier if Landon said, oh, shucks, we're supposed to have Danica, but we ran out of time. I know they're good friends and possibly probably reaches out to her to get to share her opinion often. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Um, you know, <laughs> I, the, the, if there's anything I'm um, thought for remembered for thought of whatever you want to say it is for my run-in run-ins with danica specifically kansas in 2012 but mind you danica and i we get along pretty well so um in fact her final nascar start i rode in the truck with her at driver intros and we shared um of of you know a thoughtful and emotional moment together as she rode around for her nascar final nascar start we talked about the future talked about um, each other. It was it was a special time. She's great. Yeah. She's a good friend. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, she's also uh, I think going to be coming back this year to do more F one commentary. Um, and so maybe we, maybe one of these days we'll get her on the pod and talk about all that. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Spotify, awesome. Keep them coming. Thanks for mentioning my name on the show. Fan forever, Todd Gillery. YouTube, uh, Marshall forty eight fan two eight one. Officially a recurring money lap consumer. Well, we appreciate that. And ACAV704, two Money Lap episodes a week is something I could get used to. We did have that special podcast last week with all the big news that dropped uh, out there. But this week, we're – well, we actually we might have two. We just found out we might have two this week as well. So well, we're not going to make this a habit. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry, ACAV. I know you think about us every day, but you're only getting it once a week. Uh, <laughs> speaking of other things That's that you my probably think about – <laughs> Speaking of other things that you're probably thinking about every day is the diecast collection. Are you a racing enthusiast looking for high-quality diecast apparel? Look no further than SpoilerDieCast.com, one of the fastest-growing companies in the industry. What sets them apart? Well, let me tell you, Parker. At Spoiler Diecast, they pride themselves on exceptional service. All their orders ship same day or next day, ensuring you get your hands on your favorite products in no time. And here's the best part. They have free shipping on orders over $20. That's right. You get a smooth and affordable shopping experience with SpoilerDieCast.com. They have over 800 unique, and I think that number's going up, products currently in stock. SpoilerDieCast.com posts, boasts one of the largest inventories in the industry. So going into the NASCAR season, going into the motorsports season, because they do carry dirt sprint cars, IndyCar, F1, all kinds of um products merchandise and die cast going into the season get loaded up they've got the largest inventory um in the industry we're passionate racing fans constantly growing our collections spoilerdiecast.com is growing their offerings along with us go well to spoilerdiecast.com love it 
Check them out. Uh, reminder, there is my diecast with uh, Spike Bike Coors and Big Machine Racing that's come out. You can get an autographed version at spoilerdiecast.com. Also, just a shout-out to my Big Machine Racing team as we head into next week being the uh, final week leading up to our first race of the season. Patrick Donahue, my crew chief, has sent me some wonderful photos from the shop in the last couple days of how many cars we have set up and built. It looks tremendous. It's very cool to see all that. We are very ready. I'm going to be releasing. I just got my helmet done literally today, so I'll be releasing that, my suit, all those things over the next couple days on social media, so check it out. Pretty excited for the season to kick off here at Daytona next week, we are we as a team are ready to go. We've got all sorts of cool stuff we've done in the off season with uh, so much of our cars, and then also the haulers and some cool things we have around our race team. So be on the lookout for those. Um, speaking of cars, Landon, mm-hmm. I just had to shout this out for a second. We don't normally talk road cars on here, but I thought this was so cool because it does have a motorsport connection. And this is a release by Audi of their new RS6 Avant GT that was styled after the Audi 90 Quattro that was an IMSA, that was an IMSA GTO. It has these massive white wheels that are just absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it you know, harkens back to that turbo Audi that raced in IMSA that was so cool and so wild looking. Um, and so I just want to give them a shout out for doing something cool with modern day road cars and get car... back to cool time racing. Yeah, I mean, if the RS6 Avant could not have gotten any cooler... <laughs> <laughs> that is so you, are sweet. You, wait, are you uh, uh, a Vaught slash uh, wagon person? For those that are on YouTube, this oh, is a wagon, basically. It is uh, just been on my top five dream car list for since they announced it. But Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know. That. that GT, I mean, that's a beautiful car. I don't know if I would. that's the car I would drive. Like, if I was going to buy an RS6 Avant, which I would much. absolutely love. I don't know if it's the one I would buy. I think I would still yeah. just go with a little bit of a sleeper, black on black or gray on black or something like that. Um, but that is still a very beautiful car. Yeah, I usually think sleeper with about 23-inch rims sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big fan of that low-profile tires anymore, though. Yeah. I mean, my uh, my 911 has, what is it, 18s now? 19s? And that's about as... Crazy I'm a family fans. man. I got I got kids in the car. I want to ride comfortably. I I want some performance, but like that little profile tire is going to ride a little too rough for me. So I yeah. still want something with a little bit more, you know, give to it. What you need is the Alpina XB7 I drove at Lime Rock the other day in the snow, which was the <laughs> most just wild an absolute, just an executive <laughs> grocery getter. Well, that plus it has 630 horsepower. And it That's has like a, yeah, it has a crystal gear selector. One of the most wild things ever. Um, hey, welcome to our car <laughs> podcast. By the way, we love cars just here a, as well. Not two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars <laughs> of meat wagon to drop your kids off at private school and <laughs> beat well, your it, boss it, to the office. Exactly. It was. Uh, it's not that expensive. It was one fifty-five, I believe. So very okay. affordable uh, for this level of performance. Right. Um, and we did make the joke that it was like. This is the car for you if you have to drop the kids off at school in the morning, do a winter autocross in the afternoon, and then go pick them up again. This is the car <laughs> you'll need to do that. So right. it's exactly what you want out there. We, maybe we can throw up a picture in, uh, in YouTube if Josh is able to make that happen. Uh, let's talk racing. We promised it. This is a motorsports podcast. There was some racing this past weekend. It was the clash for NASCAR, the kickoff to the 2024 season, the ceremonial kickoff for every NASCAR season, essentially. Um, and the third year that the Clash has been in L.A., sort of craziness that occurred out there. So everyone 
who's listening to this already knows they had to move the race to Saturday because of impending biblical rainstorms that were heading towards L.A. They did an unprecedented thing of moving the race literally a day early and only announcing it a couple hours before the race. Um, and with that, there was racing. There was cars mm-hmm. on the racetrack, right? I think before we get into the particulars and all the stuff about L.A., I just want to say for all the people that are like, this is BS, you know, the uh, the idea of like moving an event this late in the game, that sort of thing. To me, though, I have a very simple saying. It's the same thing I feel about rain racing versus not rain racing. And that is race car, slow race cars or just race cars is better than no race cars. And <laughs> so what I mean by that is there is if the choice is to not run at all versus having cars out there where I said in the rain where they're running slow, which I don't think matters, or in this case, actually be able to get the event in as opposed to be many days later as you know, all the, the forecasts at the time looked like the the world was going to end essentially out there. Then you go and do whatever it takes to put the cars on the track and get that event in. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Plus, if you were there, you had a free access. So I didn't see many reasons not to have done what they did. We'll dive in we can dive into the racing side, but unless you have an opinion on that, that was my thought in terms of why, you know, I support the idea of moving this event the way they did. Will that happen all the time? Absolutely not. Points paid event, probably not gonna happen. But this idea of an exhibition, why not? Yeah, I think they did the right move. Um, my understanding is that the networks were happy with NASCAR's move, impressed with NASCAR's move, that uh, you know, it was bold and uh, the alternative was they probably were going to be there through tomorrow, if not Thursday, to get a race in. Um, yep. I think I think it's still raining in California right now. So uh, <laughs> My sister's there, and it, it, she sent me an Instagram just uh, last night, and it was still raining, pouring. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think they would still all be out there. Um, and so I think NASCAR took one on the chin by, you know, doing it early, but that was their best option. Um, and it's unfortunate. I mean, they lost their performances. They lost a lot of the exhibition um, side of the event, the the fanfare around it. Uh, but they got a race in. They got it on TV. Uh, they got the content out there. And they got pissed off drivers, which just always surprises <laughs> me. When I always say surprises me, it just always cracks me up that, like, we get right into the race season and you don't even have to tune in for longer than an hour, and somebody's got their head in another window net or drivers <laughs> having discussions at the hauler after the race. Oh, yeah. Beef. Like, like Beef. guys, we can't even, can't even get along for one race. That's because they've been pent up and had to spend so much time at home, you know? They just, they get, it's all coming out at once. I guess. Uh, speaking of being pent up, we did allow someone out of their home to head to the clash who's on this podcast. That is our producer, Josh, who can give us just some on the ground feeling because I want to talk some of the particulars of those, what led to the angry moment moments and about some of the racing. But before we do that, just talking about the event overall, Josh was there. So Josh, tell us one crowd sentiment, um, feeling vibe i know how great it was the first two years obviously this was a weird weird rare situation what was it like actually being there with a race that suddenly got moved a day earlier uh so i think it's interesting because it was everyone was there but pretty much everyone that i saw there almost seemed like they weren't planning on being there that day it was just a mad rush to the track 
at about one o'clock in the afternoon. We're all showing up at the same time. It's mass chaos and confusion. The midway isn't even finished being constructed. So you you can't really get merch for, you know, all of your favorite drivers or whatnot. It was clear and just obvious that no one was expecting the move that happened except for the people up top, which was hilarious. Uh, and everyone was just trying to figure out what was happening. The wild part to me is, is the fact that, you know, people are mad at NASCAR, yet NASCAR basically just came out and said, hey, uh, it's free to come on Saturday. Oh, yeah, and by the way, we're hosting the main event on Saturday now, and everyone who bought a ticket, we're going to, quote, make it right, which is like, you know, just NASCAR is casually just going to lose a ton of money on this event more than likely. So mm-hmm. it's just interesting. But the overall sentiment on the ground was it was excitement. It was awesome. It was it was incredible. I mean, I saw people into racing, like always. I mean, I saw these people just – I saw a guy get so excited and, and jubilant that Ty Gibbs got wrecked. He, um, <laughs> he might have – I thought his kid was getting born. It was incredible. I've never seen – You ripped his so, shirt off? It, it was about that. It was – yeah. All right. So I we mean, got people, shirt ripping excitement out here. It, it, it was it was excitement, <laughs> but um, I don't know, man. It was just really, really cool, really, really fun, and people were excited to see racing. And I don't know. I just think, uh, personally speaking, it's a shame to see it leave Los Angeles because I've only been to two races in my life that had similar vibes: the Daytona 500 and the Chicago Street Course. So. Um, I would hate to see it leave Los Angeles, but it seems like from everything I've read, and Ben Kennedy liked my tweet mentioning that it's interesting if this was a proof of concept to show what stadium racing can be, and I'm excited to see where it could go otherwise. So, Great feedback, my man. Great insight. We appreciate that. Shirt-ripping fun at the L.A. Coliseum on Saturday <laughs> night for the, for the clash. Let's talk the race for a little bit and, you know, some of the racing that we saw. You know, there was some changes gearing-wise that attempted to stop some of the shifting. Chase Briscoe said, the hell with that, and still shifted his way into the main event. Uh, he's been one of the most prolific shifters at that event for the last couple of years. I mean, personally, to Josh's point, this stadium racing, I am not expecting the greatest racing in the world. But what I am expecting is the ability to see a, a show of what you don't expect. You don't know what's going to happen. The idea that at least there is race cars going in this very condensed spot or area, um, putting on a racing show, right? And so mm-hmm. maybe, my, maybe my, I don't know, expectation is low. But I'm not expecting the, a finish like the Daytona 500 or a Darlington you know, 2003. I'm looking for some good racing, a pass or two, the idea that one car can be faster than the other and see who comes out on top in the end. Like That's, that's the nature of it, right? right? So I felt overall when I looked at that event, even with the weird format and such, the practice qualifiers I thought were kind of fun because you got like people were just running lap after lap after lap trying to get in. Um, overall, I... I don't think it was much different than it was in years past, and that's been pretty much a win each time. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I guess when you're talking about when you're talking about the potential for good racing, um, are, are you talking about kind of the bumper car stuff? Like, you want to dive into the bumper car stuff that we've seen that is in the true. highlights and 
well, Twitter I thought posts. You only, I thought or, you only went for the the electric vehicle uh, <laughs> show um, they were going to do demonstration. No, I, I think that was Josh. I'm still angry that that's gone. <laughs> I rented an electric car to celebrate the occasion, and there was no EV demonstration. Um, I want my money back. Just saying. All right, uh, so I want to start with two two topics here, I guess. First of all, um, just a little tidbit. This doesn't have to absorb the entire conversation, but um, with all the schedule changes, and I know that the Clash had a um, had a, a format anyways, but with all the schedule changes, let me just point out how alive did everyone feel having to qualify into this race? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Can we not? Mm. Can we not just? relish in the fact that that go or go home qualifying is exciting yep and just just hmm. wish that we actually had to experience that on a weekly basis at a professional level that there's real risk involved i mean and and i'm you know people went home and it's sad their sponsors didn't get seen on tv and that's sad mm-hmm. and there was money that was spent that that didn't get recouped and that is sad <laughs> but the sun comes up yep. and the sun goes down every single day and they get to go to the racetrack again next week to try again but they're locked in the next time they don't have to qualify again. so anyways uh that was my first point my second point is on the racing in a stadium um i i think stadium racing can be good racing i think it can be tremendous racing um i don't i actually don't think that you know i i don't know i think you kind of downplay the potential of stadium racing um i just don't like that the cars are so rigid and so like locked down to the racetrack Mm -hmm. um the bumpers are so strong and lined up i think it just causes this bumper car style racing as opposed to you know a finesse stock car style racing that i think would produce the best kind of racing for a stadium and that's you know we're we're not we're not going you know there's a lot of things that might get to happen um with NASCAR stock car racing here in the future with high horsepower and things like that but you know I don't yep. think that bumpers are going to change I don't think the body work's going to change so I shouldn't you know I might be wishful thinking on to go back to uh, what we used to have in terms of cars that slipped underneath each other and you know, uh, wrinkled bodywork, um, a penalty for hitting someone because it could potentially mm-hmm. damage your own car. But that is wait, that is a good point. There is basically no finesse in the old bump and run style stuff right now, especially these tra- this track. Like because you can't, there's so much mechanical grip, they can't move each other, and then when they hit each other, they have to hit so hard, and the the bump there's no give in the car mm-hmm. that the cars actually, you know, you just. The only move is that you hit them so hard they basically fly out of the groove or lose control like yeah. Kyle Larson and Bubba Wallace at the end of the race there. I guess, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's almost like a double-edged sword. Like they have to, like we've said, have to have less mechanical grip, right? Or they got to deform, and I think the deform part is not going to happen, right? So now it's about mechanical grip. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna. Yeah. They're not gonna go backwards on the cars deforming. I don't think. No, I, I mean, well, I, I will tell you that two years ago I would have said they're not gonna go backwards on horsepower, and here where they are. So true. Yeah. Um, never say it, never. You know, and I've be, I, I mean, I've beat this drum about deforming the bodies with contact. That it's a legitimate part of the racing product that gets under that's underappreciated. Um, and I've I've beat that drum for a while, and and 
typically when I have these conversations, I just get a lot of head nods or, oh, okay. Um, but it's never been much of a mainstream conversation. And I've had these conversations with his, you know, Steve O'Donnell and, and Denny Hamlin and guys. I, you know, a guy like Denny Hamlin, I think I've had a more insightful conversation about it that I, um, you know, we've, we've discussed it. Brad Keselowski, we've discussed it. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's just so many things to, to that concern everybody. I'm, you know, I'm not saying it has to be the top of everybody's priority. And so, um, it probably won't be part of the mainstream discussion until it, it is the top of their priority. But to me, it's, it is a big, a big reason why the racing stock car racing just looks different now than it did Bristol 1996. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and things do change over time. I understand that. I'm not trying to be some old timer that just thinks that things need to go back to the way they were, but, um, it's, it's worth noting that like, Hey, is this how we want it? Because if it isn't, I think I know why it is the way it is right now (laughs) or a huge (laughs) contributing factor. (laughs) It, it, you've got so many things spinning through my head right now because one, I want to talk about the go or go home stuff. I thought Mm -hmm. that was great as well. Uh, definitely old school. There is we can talk about this later in the pod, but there is this same discussion happening with the Indy 500 right now in IndyCar and the old you know, should mm-hmm. you know, keeping it open for everyone and or should there be cars locked in because financially it makes more sense. You know, I get where NASCAR is gone with the locked in cars charter system that sort of thing, but it is fun in an exhibition race like this to maybe have this be a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And the fun part was immediately it was done. What did I send you text wise? I said. In our chat, I was like, any surprises <laughs> of the people that went home? You know, and it's like, there's a couple. Yeah, there's a couple. Yeah. And I, but that's the fun part. It was like, it wasn't, it doesn't it have wasn't, to be turned the world upside down. Yeah. But it was I fun mean, to see, like, who didn't get in. Yeah. Okay. Wow. What happened there? Right. It was a conversation point, which I thought was interesting. But here's the thing is like, you, you, the, the challenge is, um, the teams are valuable, right? And their opinions matter. And and NASCAR should collaborate with the teams on big decisions. But when it comes to something like locking the field in, and obviously IndyCar is going to be going through this, the teams are are always going to argue for wanting to be permanently locked into fields, right? Like that's just, yep. that's the, they're going to always protect their business and their business model. So, hey guys, you know, you're never going to get race teams to agree, oh, we have a guest here. Wait, we're gonna just do this live. So Let's we do it live. It. Let's bring him in. Ranger Vanderzan is gonna join us here on the Money Lap. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good. I um, I'm trying to put you guys down in one of the the chairs here. So, uh, but how are you guys doing? All good. <laughs> good. My yeah. man, we're we're basically treating it like it's live. So we're just jumping directly into this. Uh, we're not I actually your... live right now. We are recording. Yeah. We are recording. We should put that out there. Uh, the, the wine cellar is in there too. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. What do you got? Yeah, what's you get to open a bottle for us? Yeah, let's let's open one right right now. <laughs> a good friend European wine. It sounds good. Sounds like it'd be fun. I love. What's it. your favorite type of wine? Hey, can you hear me well? Yeah, you're you're a little far, but that's all right. Okay. Let me uh, let me put it on some, uh, one one sec. All right, this is fun. We never do this this way. I think we should just go to live introductions of of guests every time right. now. Just drop them in. 
<laughs> just drops it. You never know who's going to drop into the Money Lap podcast. Oh, my God. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Good, good, good. So you got a cool backdrop for the ones that are watching or listening and not watching on YouTube. You've got a bunch of helmets behind you, and I should point out uh, that you are the driver of the 01 Cadillac with Sebastian Bourdais in the GTP yeah. class in IMSA. You've also done yeah. a couple of the WEC races last year with them um, and been racing sports cars for numerous, many years, winning the Rolex 24 in 2019. Um, I guess, you know, just to start off here, you, you and I came up with this because I was down at the Rolex and we were having a chat and we were like, wait a second, you know, you have a podcast, man, you should come on and chat about it. And so I just think you have such an interesting story because right now you're at the top of the prototype world, but you know, your story starting 10 years ago was going the open wheel path. Then you had to take a couple years out. You start a business and then got back into being racing full time. And now you're at the, the top of the prototype world. It's just been a fascinating to watch you from afar and, and get to where you are now yeah yeah thanks man that's uh nothing to add that's a great introduction uh, i mean uh, that's why you got that job at uh, nbc as well <laughs> right next to your racing but uh i think you know um you know it's been a, a hell of a hell of a story and also uh, a journey you know it's uh um i'm as passionate as um as most people like you like us uh, in the racing world and uh, about racing so to be on the on the top of my game right now in uh, with with Ganassi, with the with the legends of the sport like uh, like Scott Dixon, Alex Palau, uh, Sebastian Bourdais, and all the guys that that we race against is just uh, phenomenal. And you know, um, uh, I, I'm from Europe, but uh, obviously I've done that route in the in the junior categories in Europe. But my real career has always been in America. So uh, since 2013, I've been in America. So that's already 10 years, and now. Um, you know, racing those legendary races and seeing the seeing the American way of racing, it uh, it really makes me uh, makes me smile. But um, you know, I've, I've I watched that um, NASCAR uh, Netflix thing. What do you think about that? I thought it was yeah, really interesting. it is it's good, right? It it gives you a good behind <laughs> the scenes. I mean, here's the question to you, actually, because all our listeners pretty much know a lot about NASCAR, but for you, being from the sports car world, being in IMSA and through European racing. Is it kind of funny to you how similar we all are as racers? Is that is, is that a true yeah. statement? <laughs> it is. You know, the, you know, uh, we had a bad Rolex twenty four hour, and um, after that, I watched the NASCAR series. And you know, um, uh, these guys like Hamlin and uh, Joey and Logano and all those guys come up that come on the show. They all say the same thing. You know, you can only want to win a few, and you're more losing than you're winning. You know, and that <laughs> that's the thing. Like we're in it to win it, but man, you have to. It, you're losing a lot of races on the way, you know. It's so much involved. There's crashes. There's, and I think in NASCAR the only thing is there's a lot of crashes. So if something happens in front and you're you're done. Um, with uh, with our sports, it's a bit different. It's a lot about our own uh, ability of staying away from a crash or staying away from a crash. Or uh, you're not getting wiped out like you do in NASCAR. But um, for sure, like you say, you know, we're all in it in there to win, and we're training hard to do that. You know, I'm I'm going to jump on my bike soon to uh, to get fit again for the Sebring 12 hours. Um, and when you're on that bike and when you're with your team and when you're in a meeting or doing your reports after a meeting, after, after a race weekend, that's when, you, um, when you're already dialing in for the next one. And I think everybody is on Sunday evening already thinking about the next one. And that's, that's what I saw in the Netflix series. It's a, it's a different type of racing. There's different people involved, I would say, as well in the NASCAR scene. But it, it's all the same mentality. It's about how to win the next race. 
you know, after watching the NASCAR Netflix special, um, do you think you can do it? And I feel like I probably know the answer to that question already, just if I know any race car driver in their own self-confidence. If you think, do you think you can do it? And if so, what, what do you think you would need to do to go from the discipline you're in and what you're good at to becoming a NASCAR driver? You know, there's two things to that. One, very important, I am a Dutch oval champion. Ah, hey! <laughs> Yes, yes. Okay. I'll show you the videos of it. If you see the BRL, Regan van der Zand, if you see the YouTube video, I've, uh, in 2012, I wasn't racing much, and uh, I got invited to do this oval, which is a one-mile oval here, like one hour away. This is the only oval we'll have in probably the next couple hundred kilometers uh, away from my house. But I got invited, and I did that championship, actually, for the full year. And it was like, I don't know six race weekends and uh, at the end I won the championship and I think and I I tell you man I learned a lot about turning left that's yeah that's one thing. <laughs> uh, I wasn't used to that and I learned a lot about how to be on the limit all the way through the corner which was really interesting and I, I watched a bit of that series yeah. and I started to watch the races a little bit and it's interesting you know it's it looked you know dumb people from Europe say NASCAR oh, that's easy going left all the time <laughs> just two mm -hmm. corners but man it's difficult and I think you know if I jump in that series there's no way I can, I can beat you guys. You know, it's it's what you've been doing all year, all your life is turning left, and you got really good at it. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> I think I can, I can for sure. I, like you say, you know, I think I can, I can compete and all that. But you know, if you've been doing that since a young age, I think there's no mm -hmm. way to beat those guys. I think so. Especially on, you would be, I think, pretty up to speed on the road courses. You know what? To to go the other way, when we've seen drivers go do the Rolex from NASCAR, Chase Elliott, Larson, yeah. Jimmy Johnson. You know, it was a tough change for them because suddenly they had to rise what you do so well, which is drive a high downforce, highly capable race car to its limit. You know, I guess for us two stock car drivers who had a little bit of experience in other stuff, what is it about, like, right now, the, the modern-day GTP prototype? What What is this race car like to drive? You've driven... Formula car, you know, low-level Formula cars, F3. Um, you've driven different types of sports cars. You've done the oval stuff. What's this car like, this prototype right now, that we're this era we're living in and watching uh, in IMSA? You know, honestly, the technology, everything is fantastic, really cool. But the way we drive right now, it's heavy. It has really poor tires, in my opinion. <laughs> it has a lot of power, but very low downforce. And I think in the European <laughs> way of racing, we have a lot of downforce in the car. Formula 1 is the maximum downforce you can get. That's what we all aim for. So our junior cartographies are all built up to how to learn with a lot of downforce. So Formula 3 is low power, not a lot of horsepower, but a lot of downforce. And that's almost the speed you get in like a Formula 1 car in the middle of the corner. Some corners in Formula 3 are the same speed as a Formula 1 car. Um, so hmm. right now the GTP cars, they're heavy. They're very fast and straight. And not a lot of downforce. So honestly, I'm I'm reasonably enjoying it for that. I think the DPI was a lot better. It was a lot of downforce and not so fast on the straights. So we're still faster in lap time because we make it up on the straights. But in the in the corners, we're actually quite slow at the moment with the with the GTP cars. But you know the technology is fantastic. Um, you know the power is amazing. The the hybrid engine is really cool. But um, yeah, altogether, honestly, like the cornering is not that exciting. It's it's a lot of work to keep the car going. I think it's more towards NASCAR and uh, and uh, you know a lot of weight. <laughs> they they look like they're um, they look edgy under braking and and like the rear is light. 
Um, you know, like why, lap after lap, watching them get into turn one at Daytona just looked constantly unsettled at the, trying to bend your entry. Um, and, and then I high speed and it's low downforce and a right. little weight. So the thing is trying to move all directions, like I guess like a NASCAR. But you know, I think I think when we got Jimmy Johnson, he was with Ganassi. Who, in my opinion, you know him, Scott Dixon, the the goats from America. I would say, <laughs> amazing people to work with. Uh, yeah, love that. Well, is one of the the nicest guys I've ever met. You know, I honestly I told him, Jimmy, how is it possible you won so many championships? Because you're such a nice guy. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. We've said the same thing. You said the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jimmy. Jimmy, he came to Amsterdam and we we had a, a night out and. Um, you know, he's he's just on a personal level. He's already super nice and he's very chatty, open about all all kinds of stuff. And um, but when you see him race and we see the the videos that he did in the past in, in racing, obviously you know why he's a champion. No, it's not. But um, uh, I also asked him the question. You know, the European and the American stuff. I asked him the question: Why do you think you, Scott Dixon, actually are such nice guys? Because in Europe, if you're very successful, it almost feels like you have to be an asshole. Um, and um, he said you know what we've been racing our own country people from our own country since we are very young and if you go to Europe as a Dutch guy go racing it against the Italians the Spanish people the French people the Germans and they all have their little character they all have their little you know differences so you're always fighting against differences, and you don't really understand why is somebody being a dick this way or that being a dick that way um so you kind of like bunch up each other and in america everybody's racing americans so you kind of know why they are doing this and why they are doing that and i i thought he had a great point there you know it's it's that, an interesting wow i i didn't think about the culture side i know you know personally you wouldn't know this about my past but when i first started i wanted to go to europe and i did junior formula cars and then eventually shifted towards oval nascar stuff uh, I just didn't have the, the funding to go over there. But I remember at the time people telling me, like, when I was – they would say, you you know, if you were good here, you weren't even ready for over there because it was so cutthroat because the culture was so – like what you're describing, which is, you know, it's each for themselves. It's a, you know, dog-eat-dog sort of culture. I guess for you, like, you've raced in all over the world. What Which one surprised you of those cultures that were like that and – you know, you kind of settled in wanting to race in America. Is it because of that that you sort of said, I want to be there? Yeah, That's nicer. Yeah, the atmosphere in the paddock is amazing in America. I think, uh, you hmm. know, every European that comes over, the French guy, the Spanish guy, the Italian guy, everybody's like, wow, this is... And I, I, I don't mean it that way, but it's club-raising feeling because everybody is nice, and when they go on track, it's an amazing battle. You know, nobody's... Ho everybody tries to win and take each other out in a... In a not taking each other off track, but overtake each other in the hardest way. You know, me and Colin Brown, man, in, in LMPC, we had the, the most amazing battles. And I started to hate the guy because of that. And he started to hate me. And now we actually <laughs> can laugh about it and all that. It's all good. But it's, it's on track. That's where the battle is. And it's not on, off track, I feel. And when I, saw, when I saw that NASCAR series, for example, I felt like, okay, they have a little chat about it and, and on that. But, you know, they, it, it's quite relaxed you know it's not very very mean or anything the only thing they start fighting after the race which we thought was pretty pretty funny like no no way in, no way in europe that's gonna happen here you lose your life two years straight away 
Matt, yeah, Matt's in a race over here unless we get a fight. You know, you know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of trending in this direction right now of of the the intensity and the anger is has been ratcheting up over the last couple of years. And and I, you know, in, ta- in terms of talking about Jimmy Johnson, I think he is he is an outlier because he is someone who he was never big on paybacks. He didn't intentionally wreck people or you know i mean i'm not trying to say that you can't pull out one specific example and say oh here's where jimmy intentionally moved someone i'm sure that's happened plenty of times but he just wasn't one of those guys right um what jimmy was good at was he could just dig so deep right when it mattered like it, his his he didn't always have the fastest car he wasn't always the have the raw speed as a driver it just is like he just would show up, you know. He'd run ten top ten all day long, and the next thing you know, him and J- uh, him and Chad sort of just the strategy worked out, and he's it's a final restart, and he's on the front row, yeah. you know. He he just had this mentality, um, and I worked with him for for a decade as his test driver, and I trained with him, and you know, you go in the holler and see him on a race weekend, and his eyes were just like had that 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 stare to it his wheels were turning about his car and you could tell that like even after final practice he's still just really deep into what he needed to do so i he he was he he's not like that surface level emotion guy like a kyle bush where you just know you know the moment you see him what he's what he's thinking and how he's uh um how he's feeling that's and and so I think that was probably one of the things for me that made Jimmy special. So how, uh, when did you work with him together? I started testing with him in 2007, um, and then um, I won a, I won four championship rings with Jimmy, or five championship rings with Jimmy as a test driver. Um, nice. I've then I've trained with him for when we did Ironmans together. We trained and traveled a, a did a half Ironman together in Florida. Uh, because obviously, thing, like in Europe. We see the images of the NASCAR people under full course yellow putting a cigarette in, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. That's what we saw for many years, you know? Like, uh, pretty chubby guys yeah. racing against each other. Um, but then you meet yep. the, the Jimmies of this world, who are obviously the top 10 and 15, 20, top 20 is, is super fit, you know? And if you, uh, if you see right. the NASCAR series, I think they didn't show too much of that from the NASCAR guys because... The, the, yeah, and also the the amount of races you you guys are doing, the amount of times you're on track, the testing and all that, it's uh, you don't see that much on the on the Netflix series, which I think is more interesting from a sportive side of things. You know, let's talk about that because one of the things Landon and I like to do both as race car drivers is ask other race car drivers sort of about their process. How do you how do you tackle being a race car driver, getting faster? What is your what is your process for you know through the week? leading up to a race, during a race weekend, that sort of thing. How do you view it? And what would you term your driving style, you know, if you had to put a term on it compared to other drivers out there? Yeah, I think, I think when, uh, when we were at Junior Series in uh, Formula Renault, I started in Formula 3. I was a Mercedes Junior, which, um, which I think brought me quite a lot about how to act as a race car driver. We would go for uh, training sessions in Austria or in Switzerland to um, in the mountains for like four or five days and train with a trainer. But all the juniors would be there the the dtm um drivers would be there um like baron schneider or um, you know bruno spengler jamie green paul de resta uh, but but then you would see how the others were training you would get a doctor a trainer 
um, and a physio. But we would also do excursions, for example, like climbing with the world championship winner of climbing um, or go in the mountain with another uh, uh, top skier. So they would invite people to, to motivate us or show us how other sports are training. And I thought that was very interesting in that when I was a junior to learn from those guys, you know, from the, from the older guys who were ahead of us, um, how they were training. And uh, the way I train is you need the strength, but it's not as important as cardio. So I, I jump on my bike a lot. Um, do uh, do a long run. So in Daytona, somewhat sometimes we do three and a half hour stints in the car, and um, that's only possible if you know how much you need to eat up front, how much you need to keep drinking during the stint. Um, so about nutrition as well, you need to learn a lot about what works for you. You know, you're talking about Ironmans. That's the first thing you need to learn how to eat. So for example, in the pit stops, I get a, a jelly. You know, I I I dip mm-hmm. in a jelly. Um, or uh, uh, electrolyte drinks to to keep my brain going. You know, it's sometimes it's not because you're hungry, but more to keep your brain sharp with the sugars and all that. So it's it's a lot. I think training is a mental game more than you know. We're all fit. You know, you if you go Ironman, you meet meet much fitter guys than mm-hmm. I would be as a race as a as a, on the top of my league in in racing. Um, but you need to be a certain fitness, which we all are, and then it's about how to. How to deal with your your mental, you know, your mental weakness, or when you get mentally um, on a low level energy, and how to deal with it in the car um, at the end of the race when you've done 24 hours of racing and then being sharp to attack for the last hour. You know, it's we saw this year the 24 hour Daytona how how cool of a battle that was between the Porsche and the and the and the 31 Cadillac. Then you know. It's it's about those last details, and it's so easy to make a mistake in traffic, or you saw, you saw Nazar going going sideways a few times and um, um, it's that that's what you train for that last moment of the race where you can decide races and I, I like to decide races at the end of the race I want to be in the car to make that decision in how to win a race so you need to be mentally fit but also physically fit to be there at the right time yeah absolutely that's what Ironman training taught me is first of all the nutrition side of it um, I was able to dial in my in-race nutrition which was something that I'd never really considered before um, but, you know, got to the point where I could, ha- I knew what my calorie intake was. I knew what my electrolyte intake was during a Nash, uh, NASCAR race. I knew what I needed. Um, but you, you made a really good point about the difference between that mental fitness and the physical fitness. Because I, I don't want to say it doesn't take a, a high degree of physical fitness to do what we do, whether it's sports car racing or NASCAR racing. It, it really does. But if you're... You know, most NASCAR drivers, like you said, they're all really fit. We all work out a lot. That's good enough fitness to race. It's it's that what it's that taking your body to its limit and putting yourself in that mental space where you have to figure out how to make decisions at the limit of your body. That's yeah. the difference, right? And I feel like that's yeah, what and you're and talking about. Netflix series, man. Bubba Wallace came out destroyed every race, as it looked like. <laughs> yeah, looked pretty, pretty chubby as well. So I'm like. Dude, I think you need to start training. <laughs> right. It, it might be what he needs to get to the next level. Exactly. What, yeah. what is it about? What What are you good at in the race car? Like not talking about fitness, but like your driving style. We what, Parker and I really try to peel back the layers of driving styles. Yeah. Um, and so maybe how do you interpret your driving style or just the theology of a race car driver in general? And what makes you special or what do you lean yeah, into? I think, I think the, the V style how we learn how to race in Europe, it's, it's a trial break into the corner. 
get the get the car on the limit of the combined g of as we talk about mm. it get it to the moment where it rotates rightly that you can go to power and exit the corner i think that phase is i've been hammered by my engineers how to optimize that phase so if you break at 110 <laughs> meters and you're on the limit all the way in the corner you end up in the grass because you've mm -hmm. been on the limit but you break too early then you break at 100 meter you start to trial break into the corner and you're actually just on the curbstone when you rotate the car you go to power you hit the curbstone you, you've been a meter or two too early so you go to a 98 meters break point that's when you're on the limit and you start to be on the limit <laughs> all the way to the moment where exactly in that moment of the corner you rotate and you go to power it that was perfect so I think that finding that break point and being on the limit under your trial braking to get the right right rotation in the car to go to throttle at the right moment of the corner, that's that's what I've been practicing all my life. And that's the first thing hmm. when I get it in car on a new track, um, you know, uh, every weekend free practice one, that's the first thing I'm trying to figure out how to be on the limit from the moment I brake to the rotation of the corner. That, that, that exit, that's easy when you go to power. Right. Right. So wow. you're thinking about lat, like when you say that combined, you know, for me, the terminology a lot is like lateral capability, right? So you're, once you get to, once you're past that first part of your braking zone where it might be somewhat straight, you're really thinking about that. What is my maximum lateral capability to the min speed point of the corner? Right. Yeah. That's the first thing. And, um, you know, when you're under the limit, you have to come off the brakes, you roll into the corner a bit better to get to that point where you want to rotate, but that means you brake too early. If you're mm -hmm. too late, you're going to end up a bit too wide. You're in the dirt. You can't, you can't turn either because you're in the dirt. Mm -hmm. You have to slow down more to get it. So you're, that, that mod, I think that's the, the fine thing of racing is finding the brake point, the lateral capability, as you say, we call it the combined G-force of breaking in a straight <laughs> line and starts to combine with the tra uh, trial breaking into the corner. That that combined G-force, which what I'm looking for, that's what you're optimizing every time. And then a, a high-speed corner is a little different because you want to be on the limit, more like an oval. Yeah. Um, and I can speak about it a little bit because I'm a... That's oval. right. <laughs> but, uh, don't get me wrong, like it's a one-mile oval, but those high-speed corners in oval racing, I think that's more like how we race in the, in the high-speed corners. Yeah. Always fighting the understeer to be... Or the oversteer to be on the limit and make it through the corner. Well, it's fine. You know, really, one of the best fundamentals of any race car driving, I think, is to first find that lateral capability. Right. If you can, if you're really tuned in with the lateral capability of the tire, I think the the braking capability will come easier. Um, you know, you could find that brake point, whether it's the hundred meter, or the eighty meter, or ninety meter. But it's finding that lateral capability all the way through the corner. Um, for me, is is definitely the first fundamental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think you know that braking is uh, with the downforce car. You're you're braking. At 300 kilometers an hour, let's say, the downforce is maximum on the car. That's the maximum downforce you get. So that's where you can slow down the maximum. So we are hammering the brake at that point, let the biggest peak. And then when the downforce comes off the car, you cannot keep the pressure as high as it is. So you're coming off the pressure because the downforce is going down. And then when you get to the corner, there's almost no more downforce on the car. Imagine you're still on the peak of that brake at that point. You're gonna lock up all the wheels because you don't have any downforce in the car. So that that moment of hammering the brakes and trailing it off and being on the limit of that brakes 
and downforce is uh, is something I've I've always been work that's that's what I work on and that's what makes me hmm. fast. But uh, I think I had an interesting discussion about Max Verstappen actually. Um, you know why is that Ooh. guy so good, right? Yeah. Uh, why is he so good, right? Yeah. Why why is Max Verstappen <laughs> so good? You tell us. I got the answer. No, I don't have the answer. But I, I, I did have an interesting one about someone who raced against him in simulators or did his simulator work quite a bit. And he tried to understand what he was doing in that simulator. And I think Max is, is feeling with the brakes is something that had nobody has that much because we always are a little bit over the limit. So, you know, on the, on the moment of locking the wheels. Um, and that feels, for us, that feels like on the limit. And, then, and that guy said, well, he's on that limit, but a little below. And that means that he still has the tire compression a little less. Mm. So he can still steer under braking and keeps the, mm. keeps the car alive under braking. So he, he can still control where he's going. So he's, he's not over the limit of, of the car. So he feels what the cars can do it because he's not over that limit. He's under that limit, but just fine. You know, it's not under the limit. He's obviously not under the limit because he's very fast. <laughs> but to be over the limit, I think it also takes a bit of control out of the car and i think he's he's just phenomenal at finding that limit for himself oh so, amen that that was so <laughs> clip that and replay yeah, that clip forever that <laughs> because that and, and i'm i'm gonna let parker finish with you because i've got to go pick up kids up from school but i i i do want to make one point about that that is just so brilliant and so amazing is that that the tire in if you go this much past the limit of the tire's capability, it has to recover and then get back down, right? Yeah. And get recompressed to make grip. And if you're constantly doing that and going to 101%, um, you're, like you said, it's an inefficient way to manage your tire's yeah, capability. Yeah. Yeah, and it's being at 99% all the time is way better than going over. That's yeah. brilliant. I got to roll. Parker, you can finish out with it. Thank you. <laughs> Well, just to expand on that, good luck, Landon. He's going to practice his trail breaking on the way to his school there to get his kids. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, er, <laughs> the I I think that's that's fascinating because you're basically you know, and I think to back up a little bit about the max breaking, you know, over here we call it threshold breaking, right? Where you're getting to that point of the tire where it's right at its point of where it started grain, and that's the max amount of braking capability it has. But that going to 99.9% is actually a skill. It's not 100 or 101, right? You're saying that basically his skill is in that he's just that perfect amount below. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, the, wow. the, 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 the limit of a tire is 100%. So if you're at 101.1%, 100, you're over the limit of that tire. So you don't yeah. want to go there. But if you're at 95 or 98%, which is still pretty good, probably 98, then it doesn't feel like you're on the limit and you aren't. So if you then get to the 99.9%, you still have to control the tire. You can move under, you can even see him braking and moving under braking quite a bit. You see him, you know, like I, I remember an example in, uh, I think it was Suzuka in that last chicane and his, his teammates, so they had the same car. He braked on the outside. The guy on the inside braked at the same time, blocked up the tire and you still see see Max moving on the brake to, to find where he wants to go. And the other guy locked up and went straight. Um, that's how we overtook him. So the feeling with that brakes, I think that's where he makes a big difference. And then hmm. because you got that feeling and you're not over the limit of the tire, you're able to, to position the car every time 
every corner where you want to be at. And that's why he can be so consistent as well. And you're not using up the tire that much. That's why he's so good in the tire degradation. So it's, um, I think, you know, it's, we're looking at someone who is executing at that 99.95%. It's, it's just phenomenal how he does it. But, uh, hey, I'm from Holland. I'm, I'm not objective at all. <laughs> Slightly biased. Uh, I want to just, I want to take a step back um, in your career because I read something really interesting that you had done, and that was you went and drove a Super Formula car, which is essentially the highest Formula open wheel over in Japan. And you had some really interesting comments about that car and how capable it was at the time. What when you when you look at all the cars you've driven, was that one of the most capable cars you'd ever driven? And what made it so interesting and, and unique? I'm just curious. Yeah, I think at the time that car in Japan was a Formula car that would be just top fifteen. No, not top fifteen, but fifteen to twentieth on the grid in Formula 1. So it was Whoa. as fast as the worst Formula 1 cars, let's say. Huh. Um, so if you, they raced in Suzuka, Formula 1 raced in Suzuka, and um, the lap times were the same as the, the last guys on the grid in Formula 1. So it was a very fast car. I think, you know, I can't say I drove a Formula 1 car, but that was the closest I got to it. So, um, And the, the amazing thing about it was it had so much downforce that uh, we, we were fit, testing in Fuji. And the Fuji has the Honda R, which is a very fast right-hander. It's... Not flat, but it's close to flat. Probably new tires is as almost flat. Um, the first time I came back to the pits, they looked they looked at the data and I said, "So where can I improve?" And they said, "You can go." And they said it very politely, like the Japanese saying, "You can go twenty kilometers faster in the Honda R." I was like, 20 kilometers? That's that's <laughs> that's a lot." I thought that was on the, limit the car was moving. The car was on the limit. I went five k faster, ten k faster, and it. The balance of the car didn't change. The movement in the car didn't change. It just went faster around it. So that amazed me about how much downforce you can have on a race car. And um, yeah, it was an interesting one. It, and again, hmm. there, I think the car is pretty shit in the slow speed corners. Um, <laughs> there's no downforce on the car. <laughs> but on the high speed, it was amazing. Yeah, for sure. I love how outspoken you are, man. That's what's always been fun about you uh, being in the IMSA series. I, and that period of time, I believe, was kind of when you were in between rides at that time and sort of jumping around a little bit. And I want to I go back to them because right now we're speaking to you. You're in Amsterdam. This is where you live now. You race in IMSA full-time. But you also, during that time, started some businesses. And one of them is on your T-shirt there, Pagona Insurance. Tell us right. the background on that. I think this is fascinating that you, you did this um, and still do this on the side of being a factory IMSA prototype driver. Yeah, it, it- yeah, it's an amazing story. I think so too. I mean, it's uh, it kind of saved my life. And um, I was out of racing and I did DTM for a year for Mercedes in 2011. And they scaled back to eight cars from nine. And I was the first one in, the last one in, first one out. So my my kind of like career stopped right there. And I started, I had to make money. I, I had some uh, debt from the junior series actually that I had to pay back still. Um, and I had a, a, a guy I was coaching, a young kid in Formula Renault, Formula 3. Um, and his dad was in was in insurance, and I I asked him, "Do you want to do something together? Can you help me out to start a business?" Because I stopped racing. I'm you know I I tried and uh, I tried really hard, and uh, it didn't work out. So uh, it was also the the cri- crisis at the time. There was no money in the world, and uh, I couldn't find a seat really. So we started the business uh, at the time um, a racing insurance business, and he was good in insurance. I knew the world of racing. We combined it, and that's how we started racing. And um, or started racing, we started the, the business. 
I started to talk to all the race teams and they were like, yeah, I would love to buy an insurance from you because we need it and I'm happy you're here um, to sell me that insurance, but are you not racing yourself anymore? And they asked me, do you want to race in Paul Ricard next weekend? And I said, well, I stopped racing, so hey, I don't have any money, but if you're still interested, I would love to race because it's still my passion. <laughs> I'll pay for my own flight and my hotel and off we go. And that's how I got into it again because of talking to all the race teams for insuring their cars. So yeah, that's amazing. I'm still doing it. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I took it very seriously. I uh, paid off all my debts and I started to make money with the insurance. And actually it was Peter Barron who actually from Starworks at the time uh, was the first one who paid me for racing his LMPC car. Uh, and I started to become a f professional driver again. So, um, and it, the, the thing is in IMSA and, you know, we, it, the IndyCar season is so compact or NASCAR is so many races. So there's no way you can do something on the side, but at the same time in IMSA, we do simulated work. We do nine races a year. We do another, uh, let's say eight test days a year. Uh, and that's about it. So there's, hmm. there is time to do it, you know, to do something on the side. Yep. Definitely. That's fascinating, man. I think that's one of the cool stories. We hear often about race car drivers, you know, in that same inflection point in their career, and it can go all sorts of different ways. You know, myself personally, I ended up in TV, and that's how I got back into it and support it. And I think yeah. it's so amazing you've gotten all the way back to being now in this factory position at the, the height of the of the sports car racing. So it's just a really cool thing. You also have a coffee shop, I guess. Is this correct? Well is that the not shop. the right term in Amsterdam, yeah, I guess? Exactly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> coffee shop is where they smoke marijuana. <laughs> you can get coffee there as well. I'm not okay. in the business. I'm in the coffee business, which is um, uh, a coffee bar, we call it. So we sell coffee. All right. Chinos, got, it. got it, got it. I had that one wrong. My bad. <laughs> um, well, so you have a coffee bar as well. So you got a lot going on, which is really cool. Should we... You mentioned the IMSA races you're doing. Are you doing any other races this year that we should be on the lookout for around the world? Well, I hope to do Le Mans again. There's, um, you know, obviously talks of that. And um, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's some other races I'm talking about uh, doing as well. But honestly, I, I'm really enjoying my time at Ganassi. It's one of the best teams in the world, as we know. But um, yeah, that's, that's the feeling when you, when you race there. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a big team now, you know, many IndyCar cars, I think five at the moment, um, a WEC team, an IMSA team, Extreme E. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of racing activity around there. And there's more, I think 150 people working in the, at the company wow. right now, but it's still very, very small as it feels because you're, you call with Jip, we call with Mike Hull, you call with the engineers and it's, everybody is really dialed in in what they're doing. And they're, if anything you can say about Ganassi is that they're real racers and that's what I really yeah. like about it. You know, they're there, they're there to win and, um, uh, that's what we fight for. So I'm really enjoying it. And, um, I hope we can uh, continue for a long time because, um, it's, it's for the atmosphere is very American. Like we discussed before, um, very positive and, uh, we're there to win races. So I would like to keep going there for sure. It's awesome, man. I love watching you. You're, uh, you're cool to see out there. I appreciate you taking the time jumping on here with us and telling us all about it. We'll have to have you back one of these days, especially after, uh, you know, your next win to tell us about, about that or why Max Verstappen is so fast or some other driver out there, I guess. Yeah, you, got, you got a great description. I, uh, I love it. So uh, I love what you're doing and it's awesome to see you race on the limit uh, yourself. And, you know, it's easy to talk to guys like you because you're, you know what's going on in race cars. So uh, I, uh, I really think that's awesome to, to be on your show here. Appreciate it, bud.
All right, see you later. Ranger was awesome. He's the man. Really cool chat with him. That was fun. We were in the middle of the class discussion before he came on, okay. and we had let we were leaving the i we had, we were getting past the idea that there can be good racing in a stadium. Mm-hmm. Which I think we've we've talked about that a lot, so we get that. Um, I think when we look at this past weekend's race, you know, Denny Hamlin showed up. I don't know if there was anything else I learned from it. I don't know if there's anything you learned about team competitiveness or anything out there. I don't Are know if you it showed say much. it, Parker. Is What's it that? too early to say it? It's his year. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. <laughs> It's his year. It's always his year. I got asked on NBC. Uh, Dustin Long sent me a thing. I don't know if it got in there, but he, I, he was like, who's the champ this year? And I wrote, Denny Hamlin, it's his year until it isn't. <laughs> and once again, it's his year. I think Denny, the actual, this is it. <laughs> I think the actual champion is going to be William Byron, but that's another conversation. Oh, the, the, but yes, until, until further notice, it is Denny's year again. Oh, um, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I. I think the takeaways. I mean, it's good talking about these cars. This stadium racing, can it be good? Um, you kind of know where I stand in terms of the build of the car is just not conducive to good stadium racing, unless you like rough bumper car style racing. Um, yep, and that might be. I'm not. I don't know. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. Um, I love seeing big race cars on tiny tracks. Like, come on, that's cool. Imagine, I mean, imagine I how much cooler it would be when they come back with <laughs> 700 horsepower. It'd be even better. It'd, It'd be, be even better. Big cars on tiny tracks. I mean, that's 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 stock car racing. That's what this is. Yeah, that's, that's what, about. what we're founded on, right? So I, there's, you know, I don't, I'm not, I, I think I will shed a tear, and this is we can transition into the clash location and things like that, and the future of the clash. I think I will shed a tear if NASCAR returns. To Daytona for the Clash. I will be sad. I think it def- it defies the entire point of what the Clash has become and what it proved it could be at yeah. LA. And I think that is everyone's forgetting how mindless and useless those races were at the end. Uh, that they were last at Daytona. Mm-hmm. How everyone was saying, "Why do we even do this? That it's expensive and ruining cars and it's not, not doing reaching anything. a new audience, not exactly. not generating new energy." I I, no. I get that, and you know, I think that I could make an argument for what a clash at New Smyrna looks like or what a clash at, you know, um, Kern County looks like, you know, because obviously you see a lot of short track types or, you know, short track purists saying, oh, we need to take the clash to a short track. Um, I I could make an argument for the success of that event, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it looks something like a... Field of Dreams esque event, a nostalgic type event. I think but you could hold on. you could hold on. Hold no, on. Don't interrupt. I'm, well, no, I'm, the problem no, there's a problem there though. That's the all star race. I you, thank you. I was just if you, oh, you were let going me keep there. talking. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, could, I got all ex- I was like, stop this madness immediately. That's the all star race. <laughs> right. We already did this, you know, we already did this with the all star race, right? And and I think that it was pretty good. 
Um, because the benefit of those events is you have smaller crowds, you have a smaller facility, but they pack the stands, right? So it, it's the the look and feel of it and the energy around it is really positive. And mm-hmm. so you can kind of package that up and make it a good TV product. Um, but like you said, we have the all-star race. That's currently sort of what the all-star race is doing. So, and the other thing too, is I think people under appreciate how much those facilities need to be able to host one of these events. Right. I don't know if you've been to any of those short tracks lately, but they're not in any shape to host, uh, an event to the caliber of a NASCAR race. Look at what North Wilkesboro had to do. I, I, I know the place was dormant for decades, but, um, I mean, they basically had to rebuild the whole place just to put on an event where only a couple yep. a couple years before that they had already they had put on late model events right so they had to spend eight million dollars to build up the infrastructure um, to host a NASCAR All Star race so I I think that um, I I will shed a tear if the Clash returns to Daytona I think it belongs in LA I think it belongs you know uh, Adam Stern was saying that it could go to Mexico City Guadalajara could you imagine London could you imagine I, I keep saying London. I keep saying um, that in my head. I'm just like that'd be so cool. And and you know what? Like, imagine Buenos Aires or, um, or I don't know. Maybe I hate to say the Middle East, but you know that the NASCAR's been feeling phone calls from the Middle East and, um, and from I, I there's a there's a lot of international interest is what I'm saying, and I think that we should, I think we should continue to push that way. The clash at Wembley. Yep. I mean, that would be amazing. <laughs> we did this last I, week. We did the same thing. I came up with an idea, speaking of spots. So mm-hmm. what about – just hear me out for a second. I used to watch this thing um, on TV when we would go to – when I was over in Montremblant one time as a kid, which is outside Montreal. And so I had French TV, and they had this thing called the Trophy Andros River, which was snow racing in the Alps in France. And they do this every year. And they had these tracks built at ski resorts with, in the snow, and it seemed to me like the coolest racing in the world. Hear me out. The NASCAR Clash in Aspen. <laughs> the NASCAR <laughs> Clash in Montana. The NASCAR Clash in Montremblant in outside Montreal. Point being, bring it everywhere. Bring it snow, snow racing. I don't care because it doesn't matter. And all it is is about spreading the good word of NASCAR. And that it mm-hmm. exists, and it's a cool thing, and to bring it to audiences who are never, never going to actually go through the rigmarole of going to an event. But we'll come to you, Mr. Aspen, Mrs. <laughs> Montana, Miss Montreal. We're going there. That's what we're going to do, and I think that's the future for the Clash. I'm no, okay with no that. No boundaries. I'm okay with I that. I like it. Well, we'll see. And if it goes to one of those places, I'll definitely be there. Um <laughs> That would be a lot of fun. We did do a poll, by the way, on Instagram, on the Money Lap Instagram. 80% of the responders said it was not Denny Hamlin's year. You're all wrong. It's always <laughs> his year. <laughs> As always, check out the moneylap.com uh, to join our newsletter and follow us on all the socials, please. And like and subscribe on um, YouTube. Some interesting stuff in the NASCAR world before we switch to Formula One. Um, going on out there that isn't about the clash. I saw this, and I thought this was a fascinating discussion, and we can dive as deep as we want into it or not at all. You tell me. 
KHI management announced that they had signed Shane Van Gisbergen and Corey LaJoy. At this time, from my estimation of looking across the, NAS- the 36 NASCAR seats, there are only these management companies representing drivers at this time. Um, and I don't know if this is any different than years past, to be honest, but I just find it interesting that these are the, the groups. KHI, uh, which is owned by Kevin Harvick, of course. You have Pro Sport, which I believe Denny Hamlin is involved in. Uh, and MMI, which is uh, Ross Chastain's deal now, that's formerly Spire, which they got out of the driver management game. And then I believe you have some independents like Alan Miller, who represented Jimmy Forever and was involved with Eric Jones. Um, I don't know. I just found this interesting that these management companies have been very vocal about who they're signing. And they keep, you know, that there's groups like KHI and Pro Sport who have so many drivers, how they manage that in a time where, you know, in juggling seats and that interest and that sort of thing. So I just found it, I don't know. I see these announcements and I find them to be, to be fascinating. It's sort of an undertone occurring right now in the Cup Series on the driver's side. It is interesting. I think that <clears throat> if I wanted to kind of dig at it a little bit, it could be a sign that the, the, the value of a driver is going up um, because if you look at the early 2000s, the driver management business was flourishing with companies mm-hmm. like MMI um, and then you know the origination of Fuel, which is Rod Moskowitz, which is now, I think, Pro Sport, yep. I believe. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the driver management, driver representation was a big business back then, and it kind of fizzled out in the last decade, I think partly because of the drivers losing leverage in deals. Right and not making as much money and not simply just not being able to support a whole team of of representatives, um, and so with driver management business or these you know KHI leaning into driver management, pro sport, you know obviously growing like you said, does that mean that they see some potential upside in representing drivers or you know does that mean that maybe they've um, really figured out a business model here where it's ultimately you're representing sponsors and placing them with drivers. Yep. Um, is that really the business that's going on there? Because obviously this, that's the, the one of the biggest key components to these deals is having sponsors so that you can put your drivers places. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think one thing that KHI has always been good at is having sponsors in their portfolio. But if you don't have a driver and you don't have a team, um, I mean, it's, it's valuable to have a sponsor, and to, to be able to represent a sponsor, but um, it's it's increasingly valuable if you have the rights to both. <laughs> uh, two out of the three. <laughs> that right. does offer some scale there, essentially. Right. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it is interesting to me. I, I think it could be a sign that either A, the driver value, you know, in the sport is going up. So that means that there's, you know, entities out there, businesses out there that are being created just based on the driver's economy. Or, or like I said, they're getting really good at sponsorship management and now they need drivers to tie it all together with. Hmm. Got it. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. It's a, something interesting as two drivers. We like to keep a, keep our ear to the ground and things like that. I do not currently have representation in the racing world. I haven't for years. So, um, One other last NASCAR thing. Kyle Larson was testing this week at Phoenix in an IndyCar, um, getting ready for his Indy 500 debut this year. 
They did a lot of running, it looks like, from almost day to night and got some inside industry info that he maybe took a, a minute to get up to speed but eventually got it by the end. And I did see an interview from him where he said he got so comfortable he actually overstepped a little bit and almost crashed. So uh, <laughs> the, the boy's figuring it out. And I, uh, I didn't get any info, though, on how fast he was, that sort of thing. But uh, cool to see him continuing that Not sure getting ready. Not sure Phoenix is where I would pick to drive an Indy car for the first time, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, I'm not saying that well, that, that was... Well, first? He did Indy first. It's oh, just, that's right. Yeah, it's just another test they're allowed to do, and he got to do some pit stop, you know, pit stops, which are... Indy car pit stops are really interesting because you, as a driver, have to be within literal inches, if not less, Mm-hmm. Um, because the fuel rig can only go so far. So you have to really stop perfectly on your marks for the fuel rig, and then obviously to make the stop faster because the the tire changers can directly plug in their gun. So it's um, you know we have a little leeway in a stock car um, where they want us to stop, although it's best to stop directly on your marks. You have a little leeway. There is no leeway in IndyCar. It has to be directly on the marks. Mm-hmm. Um, and another form of racing that has very little leeway usually. Formula One, big news across all different facets of it. Um, first and foremost, Sauber, sorry, Stake F1 team, continuing <laughs> the horrible names in F1, <laughs> released their car. I think it looks tremendous. It is very green, neon green. Um, but I thought it looked really cool, and all their accompanying look and gear and everything is really awesome. So you know what? At least they went with a good look if they're going to have a terrible <laughs> name. So I think it looks horrible. Um, yeah, I thought you would say that. I and knew, then you would hate it. I think it looks horrible, and it's not that gear is not anything I would want to wear. But I think that the car zooming by on the racetrack, I think, will actually look good. Like I think it'll it stand does, out on TV on yeah. like, on track at speed. But I think it's just it's sitting still, and in terms of merchandise, it's just gaudy and ugly. But that's why it's going to look good on the track. It does look a little bit motorcycle-esque, you know, Supercross, MotoGP, a little bit more flamboyant in that sense, a lot of the neon green and all that, which, but I mean, that's kind of cool because no one, I do like, I do like neon on race cars. You know, I, I harken back to the days of when Valences had the neon tape on them in, you know, neon green or neon orange. I, I love that. I, I found it more interesting that they like released, revealed this car and then had to make a comment about their new suspension which is okay yeah that's um, interesting for sure so they're saying they have a pull rod suspension instead of push rod and the priority there is was or the dict- the choice was dictated by aerodynamics not mechanical reasons so um it's good following, for them yeah it's following red bull and mclaren who both went this route with their suspension um and i'm not going to get too much of the technical details but mostly because i don't know them but i do know that Formula One cars from many years have always had this different style of suspension in the front that is not traditional, like with springs and such. It's these pull rods um, that, you know, basically allow it to be far smaller and condensed under the, the front area to make it better aerodynamically. Long story short, they've changed the push rod. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get an engineer to find out. Show me point. a picture of it and maybe I could make yeah, an we estimation. Yeah, we figure it out. It's funny. They like to talk about it. They just don't show any photos. So <laughs> There's got to be photos somewhere. I'm trying. I'm looking uh, yeah. at this article on motorsport.com, and I don't see any photos, but there's got to be some. Once we get a test, 
once we get to testing, maybe we'll get one with the front pulled off of it. We'll okay, we need to revisit we'll take, that. Yeah, we'll revisit. Don't worry, listeners. We'll get technical. We'll deep dive. We'll find a way to make it boring. Uh, big speaking news, of boring. Though, this, speaking of not boring. Yeah, not boring. I don't. Whatever to go with this one. Big news: Christian Horner under investigation for misconduct. He is the team principal of Red Bull. Has been a part of that organization for basically twenty years. By next year, or maybe at twenty years this year, um, probably one of the more successful. Obviously, one of the more successful team principals in Formula One besides Toto Wolff of the last two decades has basically built that team up from being a midfield team to being the championship contender that it's been for the last two decades um, and is now you know under this uh, investigation that there's been a ton of mixed reporting on. So some have said there was potential images sent to a female staff member or it was about a complaint about his aggressive management style. Red Bull has launched an internal investigation. They have been speaking to lawyers currently. So we'll see where this goes. There was a report that he was asked to voluntarily step down, um, but that's unsubstantiated. I think the, the biggest part you know, that we can go into now is just that he denies all the allegations, and he has said that publicly. So we'll see. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Could um, I think that it just in terms of timeline, I don't – yeah, I guess I don't want to be reporting things that I don't actually know here, but it I I believe that Red Bull's car announcement is on the fort set for the 14th, is that right? Oh, is it, is it Valentine's Day? I think that's when they're well, <laughs> now I, I was kind of hoping you would confirm that for me. I feel like I I had seen somewhere that Red Bull's announcement was going to be the 14th, so I suppose you could expect something maybe between now and then. Um maybe Josh can hmm. help me with that on. But just Ugh. get to it. <laughs> so we'll be well, following that pretty close. Yeah, we'll, that's we will be definitely have more on that by next week as the news that's, rolls out. It's going to continue. This is going to be the biggest. This will be the biggest story if this does lead to him having to step down. Um, obviously, sit, besides it might be Gunther's big break. <laughs> <laughs> is it bad that we laughed? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> once you get once you get removed as team principal that's tough that's tough <laughs> the 15th so, of february josh just said 15th of february go. is a uh, red bulls car announcement so uh, uh the sprint schedules are changing uh in this in news that nobody cared about the sprint get weekends are going to change their schedule once again you're now going to have oh good Keep free practice one in sprint qualifying <laughs> On uh, Friday, Saturday, we sprint and GP qualifying Sunday, the Grand Prix. Um, and the cool news was the DRS will be activated after one lap instead of two at the race starts. This was some of the true rule changes. Um, hey, you know what? I think be that's the best an underrated adjustment. Well, that would be cool. Yeah, I get that. Why'd you say it was underrated? I, t- I shouted well, it out. Well, I just. Yeah, I, I just think that's an underappreciated uh, rule change. I think that'll be yeah. a good a good one. Uh, maybe help those Ferraris hang on for just an extra lap after having a <laughs> heroic qualifying effort. They got one there was a chance. few races where it just seemed like the Red Bulls got two laps to get away, and the DR they, they never even got to use the DRS. It's a good point. It's a really good point. Max was able to get that gap so quickly. Um, one team that would love to be in the position to be able to build a gap really quickly or any gap at all 
at times to this competition would be Williams. But they did announce some big news, and this is really only big news if you're listening to this podcast and are as big a nerd about motorsports as we are. They have created a new wheel. And the reason this is interesting is that for a long time, Williams has been one of the last F1 teams to have the dash, like the information, the screen on the actual chassis of the car, and then the steering wheel to be free from that. They have shown us the new steering wheel, and it's all encompassing within the steering wheel. Therefore, the, the dash, the screen, all that is built into the wheel, tip very much like the Ferrari or basically every other car on the grid. Um, What's the NASCAR equivalent to this? Ooh. Who's been stalwart? Well, it would be like somebody still using the – do you remember the metal – like the the – the original stock car. Do you remember the stock car wheel you got? Like the, yeah. the show car one? Yes. And the first. And then Clint we all Boyer. switched to. Yeah, Clint so Boyer. We all switched to the Clint Momo Boyer wheel. used the Schroeder <laughs> steel wheel until is. the day of his retirement. Yes, that and one. And it was a big, heavy 22 inch semi truck awesome. wheel. Yep. Meanwhile, all the rest of us had already moved on to like this more modern <laughs> uh, the MPI wheels that Max Pappas designed. Um, they're really not that much different, I don't think. But well, they're not. I mean, they're they're nice. They're a little bit lighter, a little bit better performance. Drivers started going to smaller wheels. Um, you know, I think people got away from using fifteen, sixteen inch wheels. I'm maybe even bigger than that. I don't know. Um, yeah. I know for me, 2011, I started using fourteen inch wheels. Um, so I've used about between a thirteen and a fourteen inch wheel on and off. From 2011 to 2022, um, but Clint Boyer, I know, hung on to is a Schroeder as <laughs> a brand. I don't even know <laughs> anything about it. I drove them in the early part of my career, and then they were terrible. 2009, 2010, I got away from them. But he, I know that Clint drove those wheels forever. And <laughs> myself, I've gone between. I run the small wheel, which was at the 13 inch. Basically, so what it was, the wheel we went from the Schroeder to the Momo. That everyone had the Momo wheel, which was the Sway wheel. For a short period of time, MPI yeah, came out pretty Max, quickly after. Yeah, then Max Pappas created his wheels, and now we have these ones with this really cool material that Max created, which is I think I run a 15 inch or a 14 and a half inch. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Xfinity car, I went to a little bigger wheel than I ran the truck because for every reason the Xfinity cars wanted it. I don't know. Don't exp- someone else smarter than me can figure that out, but it made sense. Um, and that's where I run now. And we all run basically MPI, and they're the best. And Max really made that happen. And it's cool to see. He has so many wheels out there. He's got so much stuff. But, like, there was a – I saw a supercar the other day that was over here for the aero testing from Australia, mm-hmm. the Chevy. And he had an MPI wheel. And I was like, Max, my man, worldwide. <laughs> Doing everything. He's in everything. Every type of racing there is. So um, that's it in the F1 world. We'll keep our eyes and ears on the Christian Horner stuff. That's going to be – Big story developing over the next bit here. Uh, global motorsports-wise, in MotoGP, there's a big discussion happening. Aside from Trackhouse joining, which you could have listened to tra- uh, Justin Marks on this very podcast and on our YouTube uh, mm-hmm. when he first announced joining MotoGP. But they are in a, a very vocal uh, moment within amongst all the riders and everyone involved in MotoGP about how much they hate Arrow. <laughs> because Arrow <laughs> is becoming very 
a very big part of MotoGP right now. The, the bikes are sprouting wings, and the organizers can't stop it, and they're trying to, and it's not working, and the riders absolutely hate it. Um, as Mark Marquez said, he hates the move towards F1-style aero in MotoGP. I can't disagree with him. The problem is, how do they <laughs> stop this? You know? But um, like, Mark, I, I'm going to tell you something, buddy. First of all, welcome to the club. Hi, Mark. I'm Landon. Um, it's, uh, Arrow, is this a- Arrow's Anonymous? Arrow's Anonymous, yes. It's, it's uh, welcome to the club. Yep. Um, secondly, unfortunately for you and for all the rest of us, you cannot unlearn what you've learned about aerodynamics. Yep. And so the, the, they have opened a can of worms, and you cannot put the lid back on that can. And so they, you know, now they have signed up for an eternity of chasing aerodynamics <laughs> rules and teams, you know, maximizing, bending the rules, exploiting the rules and the sanctioning body always being one step behind. Welcome to motorsports. That's well said, eloquent and perfectly said, because these bikes uh, do look like F1 cars now. And it is cool tech in that they, they build it to be sideways, like all leaned over and everything, and that's mm. how that makes downforce. But to, your, to his point, it's disappointing. It's not what motorcycle racing is about. Um, and the bikes do look wild. So anyway, uh, we just found out while we were doing this pod today, we got a big guest later this week. Possibly the biggest we could have. Shaquille O'Neal? No, well, that would be the tallest for sure. Oh. Yeah. It's a champ. A big time champ. I'm not even gonna release the name. But he is a champ. <laughs> anyway. All right, let's do it. Looking forward to it. Tune in to the money lap and you will find out who the champion of things. Of championships. Unfo- and is unfortunately that we're talk to. we've run out of time to have Kyle Bush. <laughs> and I can tell you it's not him. Peace. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Money Lap. As always, check out themoneylap.com for the best five minutes in motorsports or sometimes just the coolest stuff in motorsports. Delivered directly to your inbox three times a week. Check us out on YouTube. We're growing fast over there. And, of course, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. We're all over the Internet. We're spreading the word of how cool motorsports is. Check us out.